this week as the cynical optimists stay home. Will the new mutants ever get a cinema release? Did Xbox show off any gameplay in its gameplay reveal? And are we okay with I am not okay with this? Hello and welcome to The Cynical Optimist, a podcast that I'm glad is weekly because it's the only way I'm keeping track of what day it is during lockdown. I am Phil. (laughs) And I'm Nick. And we are back once again with all the TV, film and gaming news from the last week, followed in the second half with a review of a recent new streaming show to see if we can help you locate that next binge watch. Although, saying that, I don't think I've actually binge-watched any of the shows we've watched so far. Like, I haven't done any of them in one setting. I don't know about you. No, I've been watching them very sporadically for a long period of time. Well, it's a, the, one of the problems with lockdown a little bit is you do need to make things last longer a little bit. Exactly. Because uh, one of my friends who's been furloughed for, well, probably as long as you have, I was talking to him yesterday, he said, I'm finally running out of things to do. And I was like, that's impressive. That you've, <laughs> even the people who can put off doing certain things on their to-do list for ages and ages are probably already do it. <laughs> probably at that point. I'm on like... episode thirteen of season five of the of the Clone Wars now. I'm, I, the end is in sight for me. Okay, so you actually haven't watched that much in the last week. Oh, or were you? Have you watched another season this week? Because I can't remember whether you were yeah. on season four or five last week. I think I was towards the end of season four last week. That's a fair pace you got going. Yeah, it's not bad, but yeah, it's the end is in sight. I mean, the annoying thing is, I kind of wanted to do it again. This is this binging thing. I kind of wanted to get it all done by the time the finale came out in the UK, but um, totally past that point because the finale has aired and I've already seen an annoying amount of spoilers on Twitter for it. <laughs> I managed to avoid, I guess, narratives. Like I could guess. I guess from like the scope of the season, which I know about, what roughly probably is going to happen, but mm. I think I've avoided. I think I'd still enjoy it if I watched it because I haven't. I haven't been looking up like clips or whatever. I've seen a few stills, yeah. but that's about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm really looking forward to getting to that point. Um, yeah, it's really good. I mean, season I, the first three seasons, I found a little bit of a struggle, but then season four, they seem to. I don't know if I talked about this last night, uh, last week, but they seem to sort of do more three or four or five or six even episodes per storyline hmm. so they feel more the scope feels better and the characters within those storylines feel more developed it's um season four was a real change of pace for me and I've, I've, i'm really enjoying it i can't wait to get up today hmm Fair. yeah i was gonna say it seems to be the thing with some a few shows is like they'll do a few seasons of just disconnected stories and then all of a sudden, like the plot will hit, like the big overarching yeah. plot, and then all of a sudden you're like, yeah. oh, oh god, yeah, there's like five episodes in it, uh, all about the same thing. Yeah, yeah, it feels great when that happens because the, the the little in between episodes give you a bit of relief as well from the main plot. Hmm. Um, also, Phil, I started Community. Oh really? Yeah. It was that just because it was on Netflix now? Yes. <laughs> what uh, What do you think so far? Yeah, I love it so far. It's brilliant. Um, you can tell it's a nice mesh between Harmon and the Russos, and casting is obviously brilliant. 
I can't believe the main guy is it uh, Joe McHale or someone? The, yeah, the Joel McHale. Joel McHale. Yeah, I can't believe he's not made it into the MCU yet. He's already halfway to ripped. I mean, he was in com- Spider Man Two, the Sam Raimi one. Oh really? Yeah, as like a banker in like a scene. Uh, oh, I seem to remember that actually. Yeah, and I'm guessing as well when when you've watched it, you've seen where you recognise the other characters from where they have been snuck into the MCU. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was quite surprised. I mean, I knew Ken Jeong before Community, but I'm surprised he didn't get any speaking lines in Endgame because he his when he goes improv and he just got is let off the leash. He, he's a, a crazy man and he's hilarious. Yeah, no, it's yeah very strange as well because they give him like a almost overtly fake-looking moustache in Endgame. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, why? You didn't need to do that. But, yeah. Um, but no, uh, and Community, I think, as well, has possibly one of the best pilot episodes I've seen. Like, It's just so well done from the get-go that you have a real good understanding yeah. of who everyone is. Yeah. I knew I'd like it. I just... Yeah, now that it's on Netflix, it's just that easiness of watching it. Because um, it has... It's got... I mean, if you like Rick and Morty, I think... Um, Jeff is written fairly similar to Rick, and it's well. It's interesting as that that show goes on because of um, I think Rick and Jeff, well Jeff especially in early Community, it's kind of almost like the voice of the you know the voice of God kind of character. You know, yeah, it is Dan Harmon's mouthpiece. Yeah, um, but it's interesting because that changes a little bit as the show progresses as well. Okay, interesting. But Jeff yeah. always remains like the lead. Yeah, but no, I'm really enjoying it. Got a lot of shows on the go at the moment. <laughs> well, um, Joel McHale and Ken Jong are doing a podcast at the moment. Ah, called, okay, cool. uh, the Darkest Timeline. Right. So you've got. I think I may have already spoken about this. I can't actually remember. I've I've talked about this somewhere else, maybe on this show. I apologise if I repeat myself. But there's been <laughs> yeah two podcasts I've started listening to recently. One is the Scrubs Rewatch podcast with Zach Braff and Donald Faison. Right, uh, and that is really well done because they just take an episode and they just revisit it. They talk about like what they remember from production, what they don't remember, and they're getting like one cast member on at a time, and they're like asking them questions about how they were cast. They've had the show creator on to talk about show running and pitch right. the show, and then you have like the darkest timeline, and Joel McHale and Ken John can't commit to a fault. <laughs> the two of them just they they basically were like give us questions. And they've gone through, I think, like six questions in seven episodes. Because they just keep getting off track and distracted. Right, yeah. So it's... I mean, both are good. Like, I've enjoyed listening to both. But, yeah, it's quite funny as well. And to be honest, it's possibly reflective of those two shows. Because Community is a little bit more, like, chaotic. Yes. Than Scrubs. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, not as much news this week. Seems those keen Hollywood producers have, have slowed down on the tick button this week and not as much stuff has been commissioned they've they've, uh, um, they've used up all the animation studios now, all the animation studios yeah. <laughs> are now contracted to make new shows so they can't exactly, anymore. they're all busy Yeah, but um, we have got something that was already filmed and is nearing the end of production because have you seen the trailer for Space Force? I've seen like the, the ads around it, I, did, I haven't actually watched the trailer yet it's worth a watch. There's some there's some stuff you'd like in there. Um, it's it's a reunion between Steve Carell and um, Greg Daniels, who worked on the U.S. Office and created the U.S. Office. Mm. Um, but there's some great cast members in there. John Malkovich is in there. Diana Silvers, Ben Schwartz is in there. 
Yeah, no, I think I saw Ben Schwartz tweeting about it. It um, looks very funny. Um, it's obviously people are weirded out that it's not shot the same as The Office. It's epic sweeping cameras rather than <laughs> zoom ins and awkward looks to camera and stuff. But yeah, it looks like well, a very it's, good it's not doing the mockumentary format, I'm guessing, then. No, no, that's it. Um, well, yeah, and it, it, it looks more cinematic in its scope, but mm. um, obviously, I mean, it's all in the writing, really, isn't it? And to be honest, for something like Space Force, that's probably quite appropriate. Yeah. Because I think the format of a show needs to kind of almost match it, in a way. Yeah. And again, in the in the intro, I was talking about the Scrubs podcast, and they're talking about how very early on they want to establish that the camera was also a character. Right, like, if yeah. the camera was following someone, sometimes it'd go the wrong way and look around, and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> and that kind of matched, like, like, the energy of the show. Whereas The okay, Office yeah. and Parks and Rec has been these, like, small-scale endeavours. They're just about either an office or, like, a very small bit of local government. Very yeah. close, very, in, you know, the mockumentary-style works. Whereas this Space yeah. Force, with already a lot of, um, I'm guessing, a lot of grandeur... A lot of wides and a lot of epic lighting and yeah no so I think yeah. that by the I mean I have to watch the trailer but I think that probably is would be a reason why yeah but um, no I'm really looking forward to this um, I'm impressed they I mean the, the production value looks epic it looks um, incredibly cinematic and and the fact that they did such a quite a quick turnaround on this from President Looney's actual um, commissioning of the Space Force program, then I'm yeah. No, I'm really looking forward to this. Yeah, well, wouldn't it be interesting if there was a um, let's just say let's just say a change of government in the United States at the end of this year, and the yeah. Space Force thing was cut, and the only like the only uh, <laughs> only evidence that it was ever an idea is like a sitcom. Yeah, which in like twenty years you'll tell people, no, this is based off something that a real president wanted to do, and they're gonna be like, nah, yeah. nah, nah that's silly. Um, but no, I'm really looking forward to this. This is coming at the end of May, May 29th. It all release, uh, yeah, I think it all releases on Netflix on the same day. Um, could be a good watch. Mm. Could be a very good watch. Um, tell you what else might be a good watch. Phil is The Mandalorian season two because. This has been... I mean, a lot of rumours have gone round about what character's going to appear. I've heard whisperings of Iden Versio, uh, Sabine Wren, um, Captain Rex. I've heard, I've heard, we've heard all sorts. But apparently, Tamara Morrison, who played Jango Fett in Attack of the Clones, will return to play Boba Fett in Season 2. He's the right age. He's got that, that gruff, beardy look going on now, so it would be a, a cool visual distinctiveness as opposed to Django Fett. Well, the, what do the, you think? I think I think it would be I think it'd be good. I think kind of almost like and imagining the Mandalorian star like I could imagine it being like a self-contained episode just called like The Imposter or something like that. Right, yeah. And it being about almost you could say it was like oh we there was somebody around here looking like a Mandalorian but he's been like stiffing people on stuff and it's almost becomes a kind yeah. of clear his name find the imposter story for the Mandalorian yeah um, the the wider rumours uh, give me give me nervous feelings akin to uh, you remember how Iron Man 2 took a big break in its plot to f- tell you what the Avengers were yes 
That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried you that it would, see... just, it would just spend a lot of time being like, oh yeah, this great Mandalorian that's got a lot of people that didn't bother watching any of the animated stuff in. You now need to go watch the animated stuff to understand what's happening in the Mandalorian. And Do I you want to see the Mandalorian sat inside a giant donut, and then Cara Dune approaches him to talk to him about? He's the got Star the jetpack now. He could get inside Sorry. a giant donut. He could get inside a giant donut. It would take very little effort. And this is also John Favreau creating it. That's very true. But no, I think I don't know. I think I think we've had an, like season one. I don't know what the total runtime of season one was. About a 40 minute average times 8 episodes, wasn't it? Yeah. So I think there's been enough fleshing out in season one of, of the core characters without without calling back too much to the original saga that I wouldn't mind seeing things trickle into season two. But having said that, I don't want them to overdo it. Like, is it going to be too much in 8 episodes if you do do Ahsoka and Boba Fett and Sabine Wren and all sorts just suddenly brought yeah, into one no, season. Well, the thing is, Ahsoka, I was kind of like, okay, that's interesting. As long as they kind of introduced her in kind of a a way that doesn't matter if you've seen the Clone Wars. Like, mm. this is Ahsoka. She is a Jedi that survived Order 66 and has been working yeah. with the Rebellion. Done. Um, yeah. But then when you see, oh, and this person from the Clone Wars, and this person from Rebels, and this person from this show, I start to get a bit like, hmm. Yeah. But this is still a show about the Mandalorian, right? Yeah. I still exactly. want, like, a few episodes which is just him going around gunslinging. Yeah, especially as if it's keeping to the eight-episode format as well, it might, I don't know, it might it might cram too much. With Clone Wars, they're like 21, 22 episodes per season, so yeah. y- you have the the space to kind of... Uh, detract from the main plotline because you and introduce characters from the saga kind of thing whereas I don't know but maybe um, especially as they've only just introduced the big bad at the end of the last season being Moff Gideon do you then I don't know do you, do you team Gideon up with Boba Fett or do you have these two big threats to, to the Mandalorian I well, don't know um, they've just confirmed there'll be a season 3 of the Mandalorian so mm. I'm a bit worried that that means that the overarching plot will just get stretched mm. so that they can fit all this other stuff in. I reckon Boba Fett will be a one-and-done character. Do you think? No. I, I, that's no what I, that's, yeah, that's kind of going back to what I was saying. I reckon it is going to be like a one-off. He's going to be hunted down. He's going to have a duel with the Mandalorian and he's going to lose and probably fall into the Sarlacc pit again. In fact, no I would love way. That. Not after 40 years of is he alive? Isn't he alive? Because I, I think that would... I think because you haven't seen the Clone Wars as well, I think Dave Filoni cares a lot about Boba Fett as a character because they do a lot of the building between episodes 2 and 3 with Boba Fett in the Clone Wars. And I think he cares more about the character and the fans to do, oh, he's back, but then he's dead again kind of thing. But the thing is, the whole episode would be almost a visual acknowledge, uh, you know, like a metaphorical acknowledgement that the Mandalorian is just a better version. And also, yeah. there's a little bit of, it would be quite funny, if the episode opens, like the cold open, is like Phil, in the dead Phil, of night. Have you, did you ever see any of the reactions to Star Wars The Last Jedi? Yeah. 
Uh, Do you really haven't... think they're going to twist people's expectation by bringing back Boba Fett and then killing him, knowing what Star Wars fans are like? Well, the thing is, he wouldn't be necessarily dead. He'd just be back inside the Sarlacc pit. <laughs> like the cold well, open and, at and the and beginning he... is him fly, is him escaping. Like you see the hand over the the, the edge. He drags yeah. himself out, and then the episode ends with his own hubris trying to get the Mandalorian into the Sarlacc pit. But then falling in himself. And so I'm, like, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put this bit as a, if it, this bit out as a clip onto Star Wars Twitter and see how many people want to see your head on a spike. <laughs> don't do that. Well, just don't at me in it then. For subverting people's expectations. I don't need that, that in my mentions. <laughs> no, I think I think this will be. I think he'll be a big bad. Ah. Uh, or maybe that maybe there'll be an encounter in season two, but then he comes back as a big bad in season three or something, I don't know. Plus getting Tamara Morrison back as well to, to do this role, I think I think it's not just a one and done thing. I think, yeah, no, I think it's good to get Tamara Morrison back. Um, what I want to avoid is that the Mandalorian has an arc like Arrow and like The Flash and like every MCU first origin film where the big bad is the hero but evil. Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Like, I've mm. got no problems with Boba Fett. I'm just not sure what narratively he can bring to a larger arc. You don't want to see it end with the Mandalorian flying up in his jetpack and then Boba Fett looking at him goes, I've made some modifications of my own! <laughs> and then slowly <laughs> accelerating in his own jetpack. <laughs> the Mandalorian built that in a cave! <laughs> Oh, I could see it now. <laughs> but you see where my concern comes from. Like, as much as I agree that, like, Boba Fett's got a big fan base, and obviously for them, I, you know, I don't mind if it's not just a one episode thing. Mm. But in part of like the larger story, I'm really not sure what Boba Fett would bring to it. But I've been wrong before. I'm happy to be wrong mm. again. And I think I I trust in Filoni and Favreau's sort of combination for this vision because. I think they've in the Clone Wars they've done that character a lot of justice, where previously he was a bit of a. I think I mean obviously the costume is a is a fan favorite, but you know what they kind of played it for a joke in Return of the Jedi. I think to a lot of people's um, distaste, um, and I think they've they've since done some redemption with that character to make him cooler and make him a bit more badass. So I don't know. I think I think they will. I think they'll redeem him a bit in this. Well, maybe they'll just pull in some of the stuff from Legends, because like most one-and-done characters from the original trilogy, which he was, he appeared in, what, the back half of Empire, and then he's dead within the first 30 minutes of Return. Yeah. he ha all, of, all of his fan base is mostly from the Legends stuff, so I wonder if they're mm. just going to take stuff from that. I think in Empire he gets a pretty... I think he's they show his wit and his kind of skill as a bounty hunter by, by he's the one that finds the Millennium Falcon by um, tracking it and, so, yeah, and then no, he knows to track the Falcon but then aside from that he doesn't actually do anything well on Cloud City he nearly gets the jump on Luke because he, he glances Luke out of the side of, out of his peripheral vision and then he nearly, he nearly gets a straight hit on Luke by like a couple of millimetres but that was like all a distraction tactic anyway yeah I don't know. I think, Although I, to be I, fair, I, he probably didn't really 
care about Luke that much. He that's just like that's the Empire's problem. He had mm. Captain, yeah, you know, he had Han Solo. He was just like, oh, yeah. I'm going to go. I think he is. I think I don't know because you know what, uh, Mando himself isn't like. He's a bit clumsy at times. I think I think there's something that that runs along there in Mandalorians. Like Mando nearly dies in half of those episodes. Yeah, but oh well. The thing is, uh, Boba Fett is not a Mandalorian, though, is he? And that's where I think like the interesting plot will come from is. Well, maybe there's some significance in his, the armor that he stole. Yeah, but technically neither is. I mean, the species of. Mandalorian isn't relevant anymore because that planet was. I don't. I don't really know the fate of that planet. Again, I'm not up to date on the Clone Wars. But Boba Fett's not even shown to be like part of that tribe, though, is he? That that tribe. That spoilers, by the way, for everything we're talking about. That tribe is rescued by Death Watch in an episode of The Mandalorian, um, and that's where they take on um, Pedro Pascal's Mandalorian character as part of their tribe. But he's not actually from that planet mm-hmm. um, apparently Jango Fett is actually from one of the Mandalorian moons or something as well but I don't know it's it's a complicated history do you think he'll have a parallel storyline where he finds a little girl and raises her to be Captain Phasma <laughs> who both it, it, yeah yeah it's running in parallel to the baby Yoda stuff it's about two Mandalorians learning how to be dads. Yeah. Um, no, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and thank you for listening to another episode of our Mandalorian podcast, <laughs> which occasionally talks about other stuff. <laughs> but yes, more Star Wars news as we move into film news, just after we finish recording. We seem to think we talked about this last week, but I don't know if we did. Taika Waititi's been signed on to direct a new Star Wars movie. This all feels very familiar. I feel like we did talk about this, but... But I, could, I don't know whether it was we talked about it on the episode or whether we were just messaging each other about it. Yeah. Um, Because, like, over the Star Wars news, we were sending it back and forth, so I don't know. Yeah. Either way, t- you know, say it as if I've not heard it before. Who knows? Um, We don't... Again, this is this is the first time we've actually had a movie confirmed in a long time, which I think is um, very exciting. What movies are um, still actually due to be made? Because the, so the Game the of re- Thrones people had theirs taken away, didn't they? Uh, yes, they did. Um, so that's that's assumed cancelled from development. Um, Kevin Feige is apparently supposed to be working on one that could connect with the Taika Waititi one. He might act as a producer on it. Mm-hmm. Who knows? And then you've also got the Ray and Johnson trilogy, which has never hasn't been followed up since they announced it before the Last Jedi. Yeah, and well, the success of Knives Out means he might be more interested in making a sequel to that before he goes back to Star Wars. Yeah. So yeah, there's 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 only about four currently technically in production, and then you've got about three new Disney Plus series coming out. So I don't know. I think. Do you think Kevin Feige's got anything to do with the overall production of this now? I wouldn't be surprised if he's consulting on it. Yeah. And like I said, the Mandalor- we were just saying about the Mandalorian rumours, that's what gives me a bit of nervousness, is that they're going to use the Mandalorian Season 2 as the, this is where we're going to kick off all our Star Wars connect- new connected universe stuff. Mm. And it's going to come at the detriment of the Mandalorian. 
Yeah, possibly. I think also, I think like you should have an overall plan for Star Wars and, and keep tabs on where things are in the continuity. But I don't think you should run it like you run Marvel, because the MCU films. Whilst I'm a big fan, and I've I've I think I've voiced these sort of criticisms in previous series of the podcast and stuff. I think you they are slightly restricted or limited in how filmy they can be um, well, because they have they've yeah. got to adhere to the same colour palette and the same cameras they have to look the same... like they can exist in the same universe exactly So, and I think that works to an extent because when you do something like Endgame and you go back to previous movies then there's a real visual consistency which I think is brilliant it's like a TV show well that's the thing is um, what is it 22 movies in the end they did for f- uh, up until Endgame. Twenty three, I think. That's about the same as a TV season. Yeah. So it is literally. That's the thing. It is like they've made a TV season, but just out of movies. Yeah. Which I think is amazing, and I. Oh yeah, it's a by massive. The, by the thing. time Endgame rolled around, I'm I'm a massive MCU fan, but yeah. Also, if you pick out individual films within that series in inverted commas, they're not. They're not like they're self-contained filmy films yes and certain ones you have to see so that you understand X plot point down the line even though that film is a bit mm. yeah whereas I think with with Star Wars you the filmmakers up until maybe now I think the filmmakers have had their opportunities to put a bit more of their own stamps on the individual films yeah, well, that's the thing. They're going to be looking at the sequel trilogy, regardless of what you think about the individual films they're in. They're going to be looking at the sequel trilogy, and that's going to be informing a lot of what they do about Star Wars. Yeah. And hopefully, what that means is they'll give entire trilogies to one creative vision. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, what it could also mean is they don't do that. They just have an overarching producer who says what they that the visionaries they bring in can and can't do because those are two yeah. very different approaches. Yeah. Um, I think there's a middle ground in between those two as well, which I don't know. They might hit, they might not. But um, mm. because it, I, I don't think you can run Star Wars like you run Marvel, because there's films that you've got th- three trilogies and spin-offs, but the three trilogies, if you look at them, are so visually different. Mm. You can't. They're not like episodes in a TV series because you've got the very practical shot-on-film stuff from the 1970s which looks and sounds completely different to the digital era of the prequels and the CGI and then you've also got a kind of like you're going back to film to shoot the, to shoot the sequel trilogy and, you're, and you've got a combination of both practical and CGI mm. and the, you put them next to each other like in that trailer I was talking about last week they look like different movies which is in some ways it's great because I like the process of making movies and I like seeing things that are, are visually different I heard um, a rumour I don't know if this is true or not but apparently they've removed some of the film grain from early MCU films for Disney Plus okay to, just to even match up that visual consistency even more So, you, you, if the films that were shot on film which I think is Iron Man, Iron Man 2 and Thor they were all shot on um, sort of old school film but they've kind of removed some of the graininess from those scenes to kind of match them with the the later movies. So the I think while where the MCU is a fantastic achievement, it's not it's not 
and I don't want to sound all Scorsese here, but it's not filmmaking in quite the same way as other films are filmmaking. Well, it's more restrictive. Um, but the thing is, they still obviously are movies, and there's some of them that really do just stand on their own. Yeah, really well. absolutely. I agree, and like that's that's credit, that's testament to the writing, to the casting, hmm. and the directing, and all sorts. But like overall, but definitely, it's yeah, it didn't it doesn't have the same freedom to explore things that other films may have the freedom to explore. No, exactly, because like if you were to take a Quentin Tarantino film and speak to, or if you were to take um, something like Nineteen Seventeen, which came out this year, and hmm. where the cinema, where the cinematographer. Um, Roger Deakins was adamant about, well, wanted to have the challenge of shooting it all in one take and look a certain way and light it a certain way. You wouldn't be able to do that in the MCU. No, you might, you'd be able to, to, you'd be able to maybe do the, make it all look like one long shot. Yeah. But you'd still have to look a certain way, still have to feel a certain way, even the soundtrack would have to have a certain feel to it. And I think that's something that's quite distinct about Star Wars is that they usually have the freedom to do stuff like that. I'm not going to get into Solo because that's a different story, but generally, like with Rogue One, they started out with like the technical idea of doing something, working with the producers at Industrial Light and Magic to make a very techie film, um, and it and it was. I think a bit of a cinematic achievement what they what they managed to do with that film. Mm. Um, whereas, yeah, either way, I don't want Star Wars to be a, a copy and paste franchise. I want I want distinct filmmakers to work on each one, like Taika Waititi. And yeah. hopefully, they haven't learned the wrong lessons from from the sequel trilogy. Anyway, we diverted again, didn't we? <laughs> I was going to say, this might be a new record for the least amount of news stories discussed in the film and TV section <laughs> for the longest period of time. <laughs> right, I'm going to get off Star Wars news. Um, new Mutants has had some news pop up recently. Apparently it's going to come to visu- video on demand after all this time. Not surprised. Not surprised, but apparently uh, they are still planning a theatrical release as well. So they're going to go what the same route as a lot of films seem to be thinking about now, which is to release on release in the cinemas as well as on video on demand. Possibly, but I don't know. It was supposed to release in April this year. This is like the sixth or seventh time it's been delayed. <laughs> but yeah. um, I don't know. So, but maybe it will be. I don't know. Would they do video first and then release it in cinemas a few months down the line? That doesn't seem like it makes sense to me, but. Cinemas wouldn't go for it either. Like you, the cinemas just wouldn't show it. I don't think if we're if we're going by the logic, well, you know, by the story from last week about Universal. Yeah, I heard whisperings that the only reason they're so adamant on cinema release is apparently it was part of the Disney Fox merger thing. It was a condition of the sale. I'm not sure. Um, I reckon what they might do is release it in the cinema like a week or two early and then release it on video demand like almost straight after that so it almost creates like if you want to go see it like you have to get you know go to the cinema get the big screen experience see it yeah. before anyone else but to be honest I think sometimes it is a bit arbitrary how long they wait until something is out of the cinema to release it on DVD or digital yeah 
I think before, obviously, you pos- you probably had it that the production of the DVDs themselves took time. Yeah. And there was probably a little bit of, you know, making sure all the extra stuff to go on the disc was all ready. Yeah. But now, if you're doing digital releases, I still obviously support physical releases, and I mean you diverge on that a little bit. Mm. But if, you're, if it's just literally a digital release, if you're just uploading a file <laughs> that's the same as the one that... But I'm being very cynical and very simplistic here. I know, obviously, it's going to be very different what you use at cinema to what you get in a home release, but if it's just this point of uploading a file and somebody buying that file and streaming that file, that yeah. can be done really quickly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, broadly speaking, yes. Yeah. Although I do like the meme of, you know, the guy pointing his forehead and going, it's always the new mutants if it never releases. <laughs> <laughs> that is genius. God, I can't wait to see this movie. I mean, I can't wait to see how average this movie is. If it's... Well, the thing is, it depends how much it is to rent it on a video-in-demand thing. Mm. Because if that's cheaper than going to the cinema, it might be that I just wait for it to be something I could rent for an evening, watch, and then forget about. Yeah. Because uh, definitely, I, I'm not sure how many people I'd be able to talk to go to the cinema with me for that kind of thing. Absolutely no one. I'm pretty sure I saw Dark Phoenix by myself. I think it's just yeah. Oh yeah, that was atrocious. Um, it's just it's it's just at that point of like I don't know. It's it's confusing in itself as well because you say the New Mutants. It's the it's the New Mutants in the X Men universe. People are gonna be like, oh cool, so this is the first MCU X Men movie, is it? And you're gonna be like, no, sorry, it's a horror movie spin off of the X Men franchise, kind of. Who knows if it's the 80s one or the noughties one with Patrick Stewart. It's just, oh, God. Yeah, no, I, I wonder how... It, it, to be honest, it's going to be an interesting task for Disney to untangle the X-Men franchise so that they can start using it. I can't, I can't think of any other reason than it's to do with the Disney Fox sale thing. Because, like, surely this is the sort of movie that you just plonk on Disney Plus as, like, a release um, title. Yeah. Well, the thing is... Because um, they're not going to make any money on it. <laughs> yeah, because I, I did get Disney Plus to rewatch Rise of Skywalker, and I noticed mm. that all the X-Men films appear to already be on there. Nearly all of them. I don't know if all of them are, but... Well, a lot of them. A lot of the older yeah. ones, anyway. Yeah. So, they're definitely already saying, like, look, X-Men is ours now. Yeah. So, yeah, it does seem like a confusing move not to just silently release it on Disney Plus and say, yeah. look at this, like, side thing... You know, yeah. akin to Loki or WandaVision. <laughs> this cute side thing we made. Well, yeah, not exactly. cute horror. But also, like, if you put it on Disney Plus as well, you can just not include it on the MCU section. Because on Disney Plus, it's kind of broken up to Marvel Cinematic Universe. And then underneath that, it just says other Marvel movies. You just plunk it on there and just forget yeah. about it. Because you're not making any money of it at this point. It's never making money. <laughs> Although I still find Disney pl- Disney Plus's way of laying out stuff a bit confusing at times. It can be a bit difficult yeah. to find stuff. Yeah. It's a bit confusing on the Star Wars section where it says, like, the Darth Vader collection, and it's just like, three, Rogue One, four, five, six. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I saw that, and I was like, who, who, who's... Who's going to pick up the the series at episode three? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it just seemed like they wanted another collection. And they're like, yeah. oh, we've only got the Star Wars, you know, the the nine Star Wars films for now. Yeah. Bizarre. 
The last bit of news I've got is uh, Jim Bridenstine, who's one of the administrators at NASA, has confirmed that they are working with Tom Cruise on a film aboard the space station. Yes, I saw this. He actually want, he wants to film a movie in space. Yeah. I mean, it's just classic Tom Cruise, isn't it? Yeah, no... It just Didn't even surprise me. Didn't even surprise me. I mean, that film's going to have to work to make back its budget, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, no, that, that just seems like the, the demands of somebody who's got more money than sense. Oh, yeah, he produces a lot of his own films now as well, Tom Cruise, doesn't he? Mm. Well, to be fair, like, I could, we can criticise them for that, but to be honest, if we, we had that kind of money, we'd definitely be... <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'd use it to try and kill myself at every possible film I work on. You'd just break your ankle in every film. He's whatever it was. just a nutcase, isn't it? I bet. Yeah. I'm willing to bet now there will be a scene in that film where he jumps from the space station down into Earth's atmosphere or something ridiculous. Oh no, the escape pod isn't working. There's no time! <laughs> Dives like an Olympic diver. Yeah, and he's going to do it. He's like, he's lighting up going through the atmosphere, but he's not burning for some reason. And he just does a nice little plop into the ocean and he's fine. <laughs> uh, you need to watch, there's a video on Mr. Sunday Movies' YouTube channel you need to watch where it's, it's the video is just called Top 10 Tom Cruise Tries to Kill Himself. <laughs> it's just all of his stunts progressively getting more, more dangerous and more dangerous. It's brilliant. <laughs> So, first off, before we get into some deeper stories about video games, uh, Nick, I sent you a video about a different type of game. Mm. Uh, a nice advertisement. What did you think of it? Because I, I had the joy of listening to you over Skype while she watched it, guessing at what it was. Yeah. Um, what was clearly a trailer for either some kind of online open university or um, a campaign for women in science or something, um, only to have my expectations twisted at the final moment. It was an advert, and to be honest, if you haven't seen it, look it up, it's it's all over Twitter at the moment. It's an advert for a new board game, Ms. Monopoly, hmm. which is all about, and I quote, the self-made entrepreneur daughter of, or granddaughter of Mr. Monopoly. And... <laughs> like that size kind of just like my entire opinion of it and also I find it very funny that in this situation she's somehow a self like her, her you know her relative is a millionaire <laughs> I mean I guess it's good if she is self made but I do doubt you know <laughs> um, but then yeah so this follows on from I think last year we may have even talked about it on the podcast last year I can't actually remember I know I did think I did speak to you about it but when they released that Monopoly Millennial Edition mm. and it had that whole tongue-in-cheek oh, you'll never be able to afford property anyway <laughs> and yeah, a bit I don't of know, a the whole, the whole marketing thing's... disaster, isn't it? yeah, it seems like, do you think it's just there is a somebody in charge of the Monopoly brand who just is just completely out of touch? oh, absolutely, of course it's Mr. Monopoly I bet it's some 70 year old bloke with a little pencil moustache being like ha ha and now <laughs> m women's monopoly 
I do I do like the idea that the person in ch- at Hasbro in charge of the Monopoly brand is just Mr. Monopoly, like wearing a top hat and stuff and just at the desk. <laughs> I it is definitely like I'm oh, renting the- out one of my properties for millennials because they can't buy them. <laughs> <laughs> um and it, yeah, it does and it, possibly it's also f- maybe Hasbro isn't as successful because the thing is board games are more popular now than ever I think Hmm. and creative board games are getting interest and they are getting bought up and tabletop gaming and all of this like I know tons of people are just really big players of those sort of games Hmm. but it seems like Monopoly for the last few years has just been stuck in well until obviously these two versions was just doing either branded with a certain franchise or based on a certain place, like you can get, you know, you can get a London Monopoly, you can get Bournemouth Monopoly, you can get like Swindon Monopoly, you can get yeah, Reading Monopoly probably. Um, and now they're trying to, rather than be like, because I think everyone Monopoly isn't a game you own multiple times. I don't think. No, definitely not. So now they're trying to like tweak it to make it more current. But they're doing it from someone who just doesn't understand, you know, it's what's going on currently either. Hmm. They're doing it as somebody that their entire view of the younger generations is formed by those articles that say things that the younger generation have ruined. <laughs> so you end up with things like Millennial Monopoly and Ms. Monopoly, which is like, this is this is good, right? And I don't know. It's very cynical, isn't it? Yeah, possibly we're possibly we're being cynical, and it's all good intentions that have gone awry. But my God, that advert—it's like there was one. I'm not sure if we were doing the show at the time or whether I sent it to you, but it was like a three-minute ad of all these like experiences of life, and it ends up being a subway commercial. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those like, and I think adverts like that as well I think this one the Ms Monopoly one it was revealed that they did actually give some money to each of the girls in that commercial to pursue their ideas and that's good but it still seems like completely tonally off for a board game (laughs) so moving on to actual video games now and after a few weeks of walking on the lighter side of things for the most part it's now time to talk about a story that's been going on for a few weeks and it's more uh, complicated so, have you ever heard of Naughty Dog? Yes, they're a developer, aren't they? Yeah, so they developed games such as the Uncharted series, Jack and Daxter, uh, mm. and most recently they made The Last of Us. But not so, Watch Dogs. They did not make Watch Dogs, no. Very confusing. Ubisoft. Yeah, it is very confusing, I agree. <laughs> if you if you name your developer after with the word dog, all your f- games should also be called Dog. Exactly. Nintendogs. They developed Nintendogs. They didn't. I know, it's... Uh, <laughs> although whenever anyone says that now, uh, there's a YouTuber I watch who revealed recently that until he was, like, uh, when he was a kid, he used to think it was called Nintendo GS. <laughs> and now I can't stop thinking of that whenever anyone says Nintendogs. <laughs> anyway, so... Naughty Dog have been preparing uh, their latest game, which is The Last of Us Part 2. This was, and and still is, due to release next month, but has been uh, subject of some controversies during its development. 
uh, due to reports of intense crunch inside the company. Uh, sim- and this is similar to what we've reported on for games in the past, such as Red Dead Redemption 2. Hmm. So these kind of these reports allege that inside Naughty Dogs, uh, Naughty Dog Studios, uh, there is a culture of spending extended periods of time living at the office and working ridiculously long hours. Uh, Naughty Dog allegedly also specifically searches for staff who consider themselves perfectionists, as they see this type of person as much more likely to stay late and put in the hours. What a bunch uh, of Naughty Dogs that studio. <laughs> bunch of naughty dogs. Gonna what a bunch of naughty dogs. Gonna give them a spritz of a water bottle. <laughs> um, They're in the doghouse. Hey. Nah, but no, that's not funny. That, I um, mean, it, it isn't. It isn't funny. We're gonna get into why that's not funny, but we need a bit of levity. So, <laughs> so this has already caused uh, reputational damage to the company, and it's already caused a bit of a grey cloud over this uh, new release. But about two weeks ago, things got worse for the company as a massive leak caused a large portion of the upcoming game to leak online, including the pretty much uh, most of the narrative of the game, including a lot of its twists. Hmm. And people didn't like it. So I'm not going to go into spoilers here, but if you don't want spoilers, be very careful as they are everywhere online at the moment. All I will say is that, narratively speaking... The game makes serious deviations from the first game, and I do understand why people are upset. However, the narrative spoilers also show a new prominent role for an LGBT character, who then is a part of this more questionable narrative. And this is causing uh, what seems to be a common occurrence online, is the conflating of legitimate criticism for the narrative with your usual uh, anti-progressive talking points. Uh, similar to what we saw happen with The Last Jedi, Rise of Skywalker, etc. Mm. Uh, which obviously, um, unfortunate. People who criticise the plot aren't necessarily, you know, misogynists, homophobes, transphobes, whatever. Uh, but they do need, you know, when you're making criticism, you do need to make sure not to align with these people just because they are also criticising a video game like you are. Mm. Uh, and on the flip side, it's not a reason to ignore legitimate complaints from legitimate fans that you've also got to deal with this noise from people who are unfortunately using this to fuel their cause of all those SJWs getting in my entertainments. <laughs> uh, so the reason that this whole, you know, the, the hack is related to the, uh, you know, the uh, the leak is related to the uh, the crunch is that originally it was thought that this was the work of a disgruntled employee and obviously the atmosphere of crunch, you know, it annoyed them so much that they leaked the game, but this has been hmm. denied by Sony and Naughty Dog, who are supposedly investigating these uh, this leak, and they've not really shared too much. There is a theory, however, that hackers could have exploited weaknesses in earlier Naughty Dog games in order to access their internal servers and leak the game from there, but this is all very much speculation at the moment. We don't know. Hmm. So there's really a mix of things, because it's there's people here saying it's karma for Naughty Dog for making their employees go through those terrible conditions. Apparently the game's director is just not a very nice person, has driven staff out of the company before. He seemed like very much one of these auteur visionary types. Right. And as a result, the management at Naughty Dog is also apparently really bad, with um, things changing on a whim. And you, I can, you can just imagine kind of the sort of person at the top of a structure like that. Mm. 
uh, not to make any allegations, uh, but just going based on what's been allegedly said. Uh, and some people are just sad that the video game they're looking forward to is ruined, and that's understandable. Mm. Um, and I think there's credence in all of those views. Uh, but I guess all I'd say is uh, don't do crunch. Don't share the spoilers if you have seen them. Don't buy the game if you don't want to. Don't believe people who try and conflate bad narrative decisions with choices regarding representation. It is possible to criticise one and not the other. And most of all, just don't harass anyone. The staff don't deserve it, and vote with your wallets for this one, I'd say. Uh, I mostly just feel bad for the employees uh, who, after putting so much effort into into this you know, project, mm. um, it may... Because there's a lot of people now that are saying because the story kind of isn't what they want, they're just not going to buy the game. Um, and I hope, obviously, I hope the light shone on the bad conditions means that Naughty Dog is forced to change its tax. But yeah. then that's just, we we hope for things like that, uh, but we also remain cynical about them. Yeah. Well, I'm still looking forward to the game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, and the thing is, it reading the re- reading the spoilers again I'm not going to spoil it for you Nick because you, you are looking forward to it hmm. I can see where possibly the train of thought comes from but it, the implementation is bad and to hmm. be honest we've there are several films like that but the difference with film is they don't have the agency of you controlling a character hmm. whereas you know games do and that that's that's why things such as um well that's why games always get pointed at for causing violence and stuff like that because rather than a, a violent film where you're watching people shoot each other you're doing you're in quote marks doing the shooting so hmm. i do understand but we'll see the the last of us part two is still due for release in june anyway moving on to so last week I said, oh, the Xbox Series X is having its gameplay reveal on the 7th of May. Check back next week and I'll tell you all about the gameplay. Didn't happen. No, the gameplay event for Xbox Series... The gameplay event, I'm putting in quotes, took place for the Xbox Series X on Thursday. I watched it. Uh, Whilst I did take some notes throughout, the first thing I feel obliged to report is that this was not a gameplay reveal. (laughs) No, I didn't. I was going to say, I didn't see any anyway. The, uh, The majority of games showed cinematic trailers which is not gameplay and this all kind of so a few of them showed I'm going to put gameplay in inverted commas because you can tell it's not actually gameplay it's been mm. animated to look like gameplay because there's no uh, there's no GUI there's no other like stuff and it's kind of godlike reflexes almost as if they knew what's going to happen mm. uh, and then this kind of went through and then it ended on supposedly the gameplay reveal for Assassin's Creed Valhalla which again it wasn't (laughs) and as a result a lot of people were kind of annoyed so a lot of the trailers were rendered in engine but that's not Mm. the same no because that's that's like a cinematic can be rendered in engine that's not actually gameplay yeah and also that can be very you know very designed to be very visually pleasing just for what, the two minutes of trailer and you can do full control of the camera and you know yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah like I mean even they've been they've been making game trailers in engine since the early Assassin's Creed as well and they they don't look like what those games played like at all 
Exactly. So what I will say is, from what I saw, obviously, as you can guess, the, the graphics do look good. Hmm. But you don't know, as a result, you don't really know how representative that's going to be hmm. of the actual Xbox Series X. Uh, the first guy to talk, cause obviously they're all working from home at the moment, but the first guy I did quite like he was doing it from his kitchen, and he uh, has he put a sticker on his fridge to make it look like an Xbox Series X, which is pretty <laughs> funny. I did appreciate that. <clears throat> and also, on a positive note, there was a good number of new IPs. So whilst it was surprising that there, there was no big... Like, Assassin's Creed Valhalla was probably the biggest hitter there. You also had a trailer for Dirt 5, hmm. which is like a big franchise. There's quite a few new IPs that were displayed, which is good. Um, and actually, one of the IPs, new ones, called Bright Memory Infinite, which featured, like, swords and guns, and they looked quite interesting. I may have heard this wrong, but they seem to imply it was being made by one person. Hmm. And it looked like a complete like like it looked like a triple A game, right? So I possibly got that wrong, but if so, big you know big if true, yeah. Uh, supposedly more news on actual Xbox exclusives are coming in July because they're planning to make do more of these events, kind of like Nintendo Directs. I did find it weird though that there were no first party Xbox games at all. Yeah, like I don't think I don't think there's ever been like a Nintendo Direct where they didn't have at least one first-party Nintendo IP appear. Yeah, I suppose it's good because you're showing third-party support, but it was just the whole thing was just very strange. Yeah, because it was not gameplay, not exclusive X. Ex- well, you know, it wasn't first-party Xbox games, and as a result, it's reflected by like a massive number of dislikes on the YouTube upload of it. Well, do you think it's anything to do with coronavirus? Do you think normally they would have done? I think if it was to do with like, I think it was just genuine like. I I think, and it seems very, I don't want to say insidious. It seems very underhanded a little bit, depending on. But I honestly think they're trying to change what gameplay trailer means. Right so that they can get away with in the future doing more stuff that is basically just pre-rendered trailers in engine mm. and calling it gameplay because unless so they had to change plans last minute I don't know why you wouldn't just say do a little um, announcement because people would understand mm. like obviously Nintendo like I said last week they've put off doing another Nintendo Direct because of COVID-19 Hmm. So if they just said, because of COVID-19, this won't be a real... You know, this won't be a proper gameplay reveal. Right, okay. This will be just some cinematic trailers for games we're excited to show you that have been rendered in engine for Xbox Series X. Yeah. Most people would have been, like, disappointed, but okay. Yeah. But this, they basically just doubled down on it. There's, like, all the people speaking were like, this is gameplay reveals. <laughs> they were. They feel like they've been double-crossed. Yeah, and I can see why people are a bit annoyed, because there just wasn't really that much take from it honestly well honestly it did not do much to increase or decrease my interest in the Xbox Series X which actually when you think about it is an achievement in itself yeah like there's been a lot of people being quite negative about the fact that there's been no gameplay in the gameplay reveal and I'd agree but honestly like it just seemed like a bit of it it was very very strange and I think somebody at Microsoft has probably learnt the lesson for next time but you know when I see gameplay I expect there to be somebody with a controller playing it and is it one of these like is it one of these huge sort of YouTube dislike versus like 
failures or or when I looked at it it was about fifty fifty, but I believe it was worse than that right at the beginning. So right, I don't know okay. what happened there. I'd say like yeah, anything over fifty fifty for dislikes is probably a, a catastrophic failure, but Yeah, so it wasn't it was not doing well. <laughs> Uh, so now moving on to just some of the gaming headlines. Uh, this this one I've included just because it shows just how long a week still is, even in these lockdown times. That someone released a PC port of Mario sixty four after reverse engineering the game from its N sixty four version. Wow! But it has already been taken down by Nintendo. Brilliant. So that's the you know that's probably that's quite quick. But the thing is, all the gaming outlets started. Uh, reporting on it and then obviously Nintendo saw it and took it down so <laughs> its popularity was its own demise something about a snake eating its own tail isn't it something like that yeah I don't remember the phrase um, there's been a data leak at Nintendo so this isn't as bad as one we're talking about for Naughty Dog but it does apparently include some Wii source code some developer materials and some N64 test ROMs which have since been leaked online Mm. Although it's, it was reported a bit originally as like this massive leak, <clears> but there are now some outlets that believe the leak wasn't actually as bad as thought. But they just basically someone was able to get hold of some data from Nintendo. I don't mm. think it was massively. I haven't seen anything that's too bad. There's been a few like tech demos and stuff that have gone online, but I don't I don't think that really matters. No. Um, Activision Blizzard are bringing in a betting monitoring firm to observe its esports leagues. Right. This one I thought was just quite interesting. Like uh, they, so they've partnered with Sport Trader, and the they Sport Trader is going to monitor the Overwatch leagues and Call of Duty leagues. Huh, so it's okay. going to basically make sure there's no insider trading, make sure it's uh, keeps its integrity, stop any kind of match fixing or insider like basically keeping on making sure it's all ethical and above board. Yeah, and I think that's pretty good. It, it it's another step towards esports getting the same kind of legitimacy as other sports. Yeah. So, no, I thought that was just pretty good to talk about. Cool. So now, my Star Wars news, because obviously we, we're a Star Wars podcast apparently like 50% of the time now. <laughs> uh, this one was just like, I included because it was almost so blindingly obvious. EA says there's more Star Wars Jedi games to come. <laughs> well, actually, I think it was more specific than that, wasn't it? It was something like Fallen Order is the first in a franchise or something well that's it? what I mean like Star Wars Jedi is going to be their new franchise hmm. so Fallen Order will be the first title yes and oh of course gonna... yeah yeah. Um, and literally the only only note I've written in my uh, in my, my copy is in other news bear shit in the woods <laughs> <laughs> like successful game will get sequels says EA and also, uh, I've got that Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga is lined up for an October launch. I saw. Do you see the new uh, uh, game art as well for it? Yes. I thought it was, was alright. Looks good. I think it's it's interesting. Um, Phil, it's the first open world Star Wars game. I'm, I'm, ja- I'm jazzed for this. Are we gonna Are we going to pick it up and do a Synopt plays of it? Or a Lego pick... Harry Potter Part 5 or whatever. <laughs> I'll pick this up regardless. Yeah, no, to be fair, like, the Star Wars, uh, the one with the six films from a few years ago, that's still a good one when I want to just play something easygoing with a friend. Mm. I think you can get it on uh, iPad OS and stuff as well, the, the original one's great. Hmm. Well, if you bought it on Google Stadia, you'd still be able to do that. <laughs> 
I wouldn't blame you if you didn't know. <laughs> and finally, uh, to keep with a trend of having at least one interesting application of Animal Crossing New Horizons each week, apparently, high-end fashion designers are showing off their uh, their new designs in Animal Crossing New Horizons. Mm. And they're doing, like, mini fashion shows and stuff. I feel like I've... I don't get the point of this game at all. There's been a lot of stories about this, and I can't decipher what this game is about. This there's game, turnips, and there's fashion, and there's Elijah Wood, and there's animals. It's just basically, you live on an island, and you develop the island, and you do little tasks every day whilst paying off your enormous debts. <laughs> so like raccoon, life. man. So just like <laughs> real life, really. Yeah. But I think it's interesting, like, whilst... The online's not the best, because when you go and visit someone's island, you're forced to watch the same cinematic of, like, an airport uh, arrivals board. Hmm. So if you have, like, five people come to visit your island, you have to watch that cinematic five times, it takes about two minutes each time. <laughs> um, it is interesting that people are able to do these collaborative projects, and, like, I've seen some people design, like... Because as the game develops, you get more and more ability as well. So at first you can just you've got a small section of your island you can explore, but then you get the ability to like pole vault over rivers, to go to more areas. Then you can build bridges so you can like start building stuff in those areas. Then you get like ladders so you can like go up the cliffs, and then you at the very end I think you get like terraforming, so you can cool. actually just start build changing the actual layout of the island to match what you want. Huh. And as a result, people have created some really cool stuff in it. And that guy is still doing his um, late night show. I think he's done like six episodes now. <laughs> it's just it's the future. It's the future. We're all it's Ready Player One, but we're all going to live in Animal Crossing, making, <laughs> giving each other gifts <laughs> and finding fossils and turnips. So, as we were deciding what we wanted to do for this new run of shows, obviously we couldn't go to the cinema, we couldn't, you know, there weren't as many games we wanted to cover, and games can be more difficult to cover anyway because they take longer to play. Um, I said to Nick, how about we just review streaming shows, and Nick responded, I'm not okay with this. <laughs> okay, what would you rather us do? And he went, no, I'm not okay with this. And I was like, what? And it turns out I'm not okay with this is a Netflix series. Uh, and it was, I think, to be fair, I think it was like the first thing you uh, suggested. But I thought yeah, I'd make the joke. It, yeah, no, it's very good. Um, um, so what, it released on Netflix, what was it, last month? So, a bit earlier, oh, no, I it was think back February. in February. Yeah, 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 been out a little God, while. God, months and days are becoming like interchangeable at the moment. <laughs> so anyway, this follows um, a character called Sydney Novak, played by Sophia Lillis, who, mm -hmm. if you saw the... She was in uh, the recent it uh, it films that were made. As was at least that's where I know her from. Wyatt Olaf as well as as uh, Stanley. Yes. No, I did. Yeah, I recognise those two from there. Um, and it is about a seventeen-year-old girl uh, who starts realising that she has superpowers. I think that's kind of the. I mean, it's the way Wikipedia sums it up, but it is a good way to sum it up. Hmm. Uh, the series kind of. Yeah, so well, are we going to do like we did with the Mandalorian, do non spoilers and some spoilers? Yeah, yeah. There's not a huge amounts to spoil in this one, but yeah, there's. Um... Well, yeah, com comparatively, like the episodes run between nineteen and twenty eight minutes, mm. uh, which is good because it 
doesn't means that it doesn't really feel dragged out in places. Oh, they're an absolute breeze to get through, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. So as a result, like it's yeah. Well, we'll try and avoid spoilers for the most part. We're probably just gonna cover it because there's not not much show compared yeah. to Mandalorian. I've also just uh, seen on Wikipedia that this might be a, a part of a cinematic universe to go with um, the end of the fucking world, which is another from the same director, I think, that came out um, last year. I watched a bit of it. Oh. So there you go. Okay. <laughs> so, that's a weird one. Yeah. Good director. Very good director. He directed all uh, seven episodes of this one. Yeah, no, I was looking at that, yeah. Um... Yeah, no, I think. Well, what should we talk about first? The 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 plot is kind of get this main character Sid, who's been having trouble at school, and is uh, due to a recent family tragedy, which mm. later gets revealed to be that her father had committed suicide. Mm. Uh, and she's been she's made to write in a diary, which becomes kind of almost like the narrative for the show because she's narrating what she's writing in her diary as kind of the show goes on. Yeah, it's a interesting kind of semi-unreliable narrator type thing. Um, mm. Which, because she's uh, been writing a, a, a diary due to her therapist suggesting to do so. Um, it's a very nice, short, little character piece, I thought, I thought, this show. So I... There's a few... Like, I do... Like, let me start by saying I like this show and I recommend this show I think it's very good and I think mm. um, teenage teenage angst and frustration as uh, portrayed by as you know kind of the visual metaphor of unwanted superpowers is very mm. good I think it's based off a comic book but I, I wasn't able to find much information on the comic book when I was like looking up mm. I think somebody at Netflix mandates the kind of it has to look retro, but it's actually modern. Yeah, there's a word for I, that, I, isn't there? That I came up that uh, I was looking at for for the last season. I've forgotten that word again. <laughs> retro? No, there's a kind of it. They, they it's a very popular thing at the moment. They use it. I think since the success of Stranger Things, they've used it for like this sex education, um, the end of the fucking world. There's a very it's um uh, and and uh, no, what's it called? An anthropomorph. Uh, what's the word? Not anthropomorphic. That means it's just like animals walking like people. I think. No, not that. <laughs> word for time. Uh, in specific. Anyway, there's a word for it. It's a very good word. It's got a basically. It's got an aesthetic that they use kind of seventies and eighties cars. And there's not an over reliance on sort of technology to tell the narrative and stuff, but it's still technically set in the modern day. Um, See, I I've not seen Stranger Things. I've mm. seen Sex Education. I thought mm. Sex Education did it well. Mm. I didn't a hundred percent like how this show did it. Again, I don't I think thought this. I thought this like bear in mind. I've only ever seen like the trailer for Stranger Things and like stills, but this felt like it was just. We're gonna do it because Stranger Things did it. I mean, Stranger and Things think... is objectively set in the '80s, whereas I agree this didn't really do it for any narrative reason other than that's what the director was going for from an aesthetic point of view. It it felt more like a crutch, honestly, than an yeah. actual benefit to the show. That was one of my notes. Is like, whilst the show does 
look nice. It didn't feel like this added anything to it at all. Uh, well, I, I think there were some subtle sort of um, references and um, callbacks to some 80s films. You've obviously got some imagery. The show opens with a shot that's very... Um, that calls back to Carrie. Yeah, now I noticed like those like 80s references throughout it and stuff like that. Yeah. But almost I wish it would have just committed like for the I'm pretty sure like the whole first episode I thought it until one of them started using a phone yeah I thought it was just set in the 80s yeah and then I was like oh it's just and then it just all seemed a bit disappointing like even you could have just not had the phones in there really yeah it's kind of um it's yeah it's kind of have your cake and eat it isn't it you want the aesthetic of the 80s but then you want the the plot devices of having mobile phones and stuff yeah, like I say, it's more a nitpick. Cause like I say, I did enjoy the show, but it is on my list of like, it is in my notes as that was just a bit. It felt a bit forced. It felt mm. a bit other popular shows are doing it, so we should too. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with that from a certain compared extent, to Sex Education, which I think does it far better. Especially as this kind of it has it has some of the cast members that they've pulled from it as well, which is obviously like an eighties set kind of. Um, coming yes. of age drama in parts where it's not being a horror film but um, taking over uh, also Wyatt Olaf um, played uh, Star-Lord a young Star-Lord in the Guardians movies I've just realised oh yeah fun fact he's very good yeah he is uh, in fact both Sophia Lillis as well I think was excellent um, she's got a very very characterful face hasn't she she sort of tells a lot from the way she's staring or the way she's reacting to other characters, um, like the jock character and stuff, the way she sort of interacts with that. You very, you very much believe her as that kind of dorky kind of kid in that year. Yeah. No, I think the the cast all do a really good job, actually. Yeah. So, yeah, no, no complaints kind of that-wise. I think, yeah, her performance is very good. His performance is very good. Hmm. I think it's... Uh, a very good show for its the conversations that it has around kind of almost uh, puberty, frustration, sexuality, mm. stuff like that. Mm. Um, I think whilst it was a breeze to get through with shorter episodes, it did mean that some of the stuff was some of the the twists weren't really that twisty, mm. and sometimes the show was a bit sh- bit shallow. Didn't really have as much going on as I'd have liked. Mm. Um, I think um, what I liked about it was it did a lot of that through the cinematography and through the production value. Hmm. Like if we were to talk, if we were to talk briefly about Good Omens, which we reviewed a couple of weeks ago, that that was quite long episodes where they would pad out a lot of the runtime with uh, character moments, dialogue, etc. Whereas this kind of, it's definitely more of a visual appeal, which I think worked for me a little bit better. Yeah, I mean. Not that we have to compare every show that we review, yeah, but yeah. I, I, I think like someone like me who who enjoys visual storytelling, um, I think is going to enjoy this a lot. Yes, no, I do, I do um, understand that, and I do do agree. I do think that this would be in another in another imagining of the show. This would be the first free episode of like a ten episode series, mm. if they were like hour long episodes, and then. Mm. Because obviously it ends on a cliffhanger. Hmm. We were saying actually, you, you said about good omens and like CG and stuff like that. There were certain points where I thought the CG was very good. Other bits where I thought it was kind of bad. In this, in, I'm not yeah. okay with this. 
what bits did what bits stood out to you as being bad? Because I know a lot of the so this is in the trailer, but there are some sort of supernatural superpower elements to this, and a lot of those moments are done quite practically. So like there's a scene yeah. in, in the library of the books, which I thought looked excellent. Um, I'm mostly talking about the way that the last episode almost ends. But right, I'm not okay. sure there's any way of making that look not kind of cheesy and mm. weird. I mean, we can go into kind of spoilers in a second just to talk about specific plot moments. But generally, uh, I thought this was good. Yeah, or, me too. I, I am okay with this. Hey, <laughs> I've <laughs> just seen the one of the executive producers, Sean Levi, is the... Um, producer of Stranger Things. Oh, that explains a lot. I think there's a lot of crossover here between the two. Um, yeah, I, 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 I totally, I can totally understand your criticisms. Um, and yeah, that's they're they're all absolutely. Um, I agree for the most part. But um, I think this, I am okay with this, um, as you said, because again, they're, they're short enough episodes that you can just absolutely breeze through them. I think I'd probably watch a second season when it gets inevitably gets released. Absolutely. The one, th- the one thing I would say that I'm not sure you would agree with is I think the show is at the m- it's most interesting when it's not explaining things. Mm. I actually found the bits where they sat down and explained stuff to be some of the more boring bits. Yeah. And it also takes a bit of the fascination away with like the powers. Mm. A little bit midichlorian-ish <laughs> like takes takes the wonderment away and like the magic away when you just mm. explain it um, interesting you say was, about midichlorian-ness was... there like uh, like your favourite film The Phantom Menace does not my favourite film it's definitely it's still it's just better than Attack of the Clones we're talking it's, about who gets a wooden than spoon <laughs> talking about who gets a wooden spoon <laughs> but would you agree with that or did you think it was, um, it was I don't think I was, to, I, it was again I, it went it blasted through so quickly for me that I um, yeah I didn't necessarily um, didn't bother me particularly um, I would say I think a lot of these shows and stuff and you know what I was saying I, I've just started watching Community the other day I think there's a lot of um, shows do you think these sort of um, The Breakfast Club is getting overused as a point of reference for things these days Probably, yeah. There's, it's just inevitable that there's an episode in every sort of modern series that calls back to being stuck in detention or stuck in somewhere with a, a group of other sort of misfit characters where they get to know each other better. Um, yeah. And if you really are after a quarantine watch, then I would definitely recommend going back to watch The Breakfast Club, the, the original <laughs> film, um, because pretty much every series that's commissioned now has some kind of callback to it and it's a brilliant film but yeah maybe maybe it's just getting to that past the point of um, using it for everything I don't know yeah um, and I would recommend Community as a <laughs> quarantine watch so this has become a very interesting episode <laughs> no but I did I did like this I would recommend this just for people to form their own opinions and mm. also it's it's not a big time commitment either no it's seven episodes, average of twenty minutes. It's kind of it's just over two hours, basically. Yeah, so I I think yeah, it's it it's a fine watch. It is a fine. Is watch. Is there actually anything in spoilers we want to discuss? Because I think we've potentially 
either alluded to enough or covered mm. enough. Well, actually, I mean, yeah, okay, I don't think we need to necessarily go into spoilers, but basically, at the beginning of the series, you see that shot that's reminiscent of Carrie where she's emerging covered in blood. Oh, that, yes. That is the result of a particularly gory scene, which it builds up to in, it towards the final episode. Um, and I, I thought the effect was, was quite good. It, it actually shocked me quite a fair bit. I didn't really know... You don't know exactly how it's going to go down, but it it went down in quite a, a impactful yes. way. I thought. Yes, I did, definitely didn't see it coming. No, but there's just something about that as an action, possibly because it's been done as like a visual metaphor in comedy shows too much. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's pretty pretty uh, gruesome in that context, and it is kind of it's kind of good as a sh- uh, narrative mechanism that. You're always working back to the first scene of the first episode. Yeah, a uh, good soundtrack as well. I thought. Yes. Quite good picks. Um, they all they all make sense as part of the narrative, which again I think is another thing that's plucked through. Um, I think James Gunn probably kickstarted a bit of that in modern TV and film as well. Is is that sort of? Yeah. And I guess Edgar Wright did it with Baby Driver as well, in that they kind of use the songs as a as a character in the show to to move on certain plot points and stuff um, but I think it worked quite effectively in this hmm um, I again I, I it worked effectively but it still felt to me like it was just it didn't feel to me like this was a conscious choice of the show it just felt like it was copying what was popular for yeah. shows to do yeah and again maybe that is because since since Guardians of the Galaxy so many have done it hmm that it's even and the thing is, it's not even like it was an original thing when Guardians of the Galaxy did it. No. But it's still like specifically that era of music. Hmm. Okay, so I, I I would say overall what we're saying is it's not particularly the most original of content, but you know what, it's it's a pretty good um mesh of some of those things that have become popular and as we've said, they're it's like just a two hour series, so I mean you might as well. Yeah, and at the end of the day, uh, these 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 concepts become popular for a reason. Yeah, I would say um, I put it on par with Good Omens, probably. Yeah, I'd say both are worth a watch. I didn't like. I, I wasn't. I'm not sat here like gushing like we were for the Mandalorian last week, but no. <laughs> like I also didn't walk away thinking, "Oh, that was a waste of time." Yeah, or did Nick make me watch that? <laughs> Well, it's one of your picks next week. We'll 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 see. Well, it was a recent release. I haven't seen it either, so we will <laughs> see. <laughs> so, like the uh, last two weeks, I think it's good to end these shows with a bit of good news and like efforts that's been getting made uh, in either COVID nineteen response or just other good news or charitable efforts that are taking place. Uh, when I went on uh, gamesindustry.biz this week, it seems that they're actually keeping quite a long list of all the gaming-related COVID-19 release, release? COVID-19 relief efforts, uh, and I'll put a link to this in the show notes, as you can read through it, and there's a lot of good individual efforts from individual companies. Uh, one that stood out to me this week is CCP Games, who make EVE Online, uh, and this is their Plex for Good campaign. Hmm. So they first actually introduced this campaign in 2005 to provide support for people affected by the Indian Ocean earthquake and then the tsunami that came from it. Hmm. 
and it has raised around $600,000 in the 15 years since then. And basically what the scheme is, is that players of EVE Online can donate the currency in that game, like the virtual currency, Plex, so that the get currency they just get from playing the game, mm. to uh, the charity, and what CCP Games will do is donate an equivalent amount of money to charity. Cool. So you raise the money in-game just by playing the game, and then you can donate that virtual money to charity, and it will translate into being a real donation. That's genius. Um, so actually... For the this most recent drive, which has been around COVID nineteen relief, they've already raised over a hundred thousand dollars, and they plan to continue the campaign. So I thought that was a very interesting one. Yeah, I love that. That's a good way of sort of um, getting people hands on with your game and raising a bit of uh, money and goodwill as well. I like it. Uh, and also, just a headline, just to end on a end on a good note, uh, is that more than a third of British gamers say online communities are more positive since lockdown. Ah. Which I think is very good. So anyway, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Cynical Optimists. What did you think of? Am I not? I'm not okay with this. Let us know at us at Synopt Podcast on Twitter and let us know your thoughts. Mm. Um, the discussions and reviews from these episodes go up on YouTube at youtube.com/slash Haddowink every week. So if you just wanted to revisit the review, you can do so there. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Play Podcasts or Spotify or SoundCloud and if you do leave us a review or a rating or whatever the, that specific service uses because <laughs> it does help us what else uh, Nick is running, uh, heading up one of our other shows that we've been working on called Not My Star Wars where can we find stuff about that Nick you can find the pilot episode of the show on the Haddowink channel as well as the Twitter handle at NM Star Wars. You can follow us for our personal opinions. I am at Haddowink. And I'm at Mick Nortimer. And I'm also working on a show at the moment where we look at the development and kind of how nostalgic uh, we are for old N64 games. I'm working on that with uh, Vicky. That can be found at the Abridged Big Knickers channel. And the first episode went up on Saturday about Super Mario 64. Mm. And I thought it was it came out quite well. Oh. So we've got plenty of stuff to keep you entertained during lockdown. Alternatively, every week we are looking at streaming shows to see if we can recommend you anything else to watch. Next week is... Next week is a Amazon original, We're going back to Amazon, for Tales from the Loop. Which mm. neither of us have seen, but it was highlighted to me by a work colleague actually and so have to see what we think of that what will we think of that uh, what evil, you watch along during the week and then come join us next week where we'll be giving you our opinion well until then uh, I have been Phil and I've been Nick thank you very much for joining us for another episode and we'll see you next time see you next time bye bye